Kitchen Sniff PlayStation Discs? A Sega PlayStation? Hello, I'm Jason England. Today is Thursday, the 24th of May. <laughs> I was opening the calendar there. And welcome to Learn Something, the official podcast of NewRisingMedia.com, where I consume your brain space with weird and wonderful facts that you've probably never heard before. And on today's episode, in honor of my Twitch channel, twitch.tv slash Engineer, we're talking all about the PlayStation, my favorite console from my childhood. Let's dive straight into it. I have five strange facts, two of them which I've alluded to just a little bit, but hopefully they're still entertaining when you get round to them. Let's get going. This is going to be quite the tidy show. So first off, did you know that there was almost a Sega PlayStation? That's why Sony almost joined forces with Sega for the PlayStation. Reported in Pushsquare.com, Sony came to us after it had been rebuffed by Nintendo, said Sega of America's former CEO Tom Kalinsk as part of an interview with MCV. Olaf Olafsson, of the, who was the Sony Electronic Publishing pre president, and Mickey Shuloff, president of Sony America, came to my office and said, Tom, we really don't like Nintendo. You don't like Nintendo. And we have this little studio down in Santa Monica, called ImageSoft at the time, working on video games. We don't know what to do with it. And we'd like Sega's help in training our guys. Fascinatingly, Sega actually agreed. And it formed a developer called Digital Pictures, which went on to produce several full motion video titles, such as, you may know this one, Night Trap. Our relationship with Sony was very close and tight. However, when it came around to making hardware, Sega Japan actually overruled Sega of America and their relationship they've been building with Sony, saying, that's a stupid idea. Sony doesn't know how to make hardware. Sega of Japan's massive ego and subsequent terrible decisions is the reason why the company doesn't have any home consoles today. And as you can tell from that very sentence, the best is history. And now we don't have a Sega console, but we have a lot of Sony consoles out there. And going down the Sega road, if you've had an axe to grind with the PS2 for its part in killing the Dreamcast and having half of Dreamcast's VRAM in the process and for developers hating it and wishing to support literally any other platform and for lacking features that Dreamcast, GameCube and Xbox all had natively, then you will prefer this story. It's a quite a serious one and it's quite a dark one. So I do apologize. The massive success of the PS2 caused a price spike on the metal known as Coltan, or Colton. In order to get more of it, Sony funded the rally for Congolese Democracy, which was an illegal insurgent group that used brutal slave child labor. A full Conflict Minerals report was released against Sony Corporation and it goes into some rather terrifying detail about exactly what this insurgent group did 
in terms of maintaining this slave labor, all because of the rising price of Colton and the fact that they've managed to stay in power. Um, not much has been said after it, except for a simple quote, which is, Sony is committed to conducting our operations in a socially environmentally responsible way and to sourcing from suppliers that share our values. Sony is working with our suppliers to address issues related to human rights, labor conditions, health and safety, and environmental protection at the production site of our blah, blah, blah. Basically, Sony got caught and the only way they could get out of it is if they made that very simple statement. Next up, let's tackle the stealth genre and let's go to some more rosier topics than what we were just talking about. Um, let's go into Metal Gear Solid, which was quite arguably one of the not the original stealth game, because I know there'd been plenty more in the past before that, but the one that really kind of established the popularity of the said genre, and it kind of exploded there since. Um, but, of course, there were plenty of copycats to come along. One of which, and I hope that you're um, paying attention and you have your mouse clicking finger ready to buy it, is the game called Chicken Run. That's right. <laughs> the um, Ardman animation film, the guys who made Wallace and Gromit, that pays homage to The Great Escape, but with chickens, is actually a pretty decent stealth game if you try it out. Um, the control scheme, it's nowhere near as sophisticated as what you get in Metal Gear, but it's got exactly the same mechanic, it's got exactly the same radar showing you the cone of where people, where different characters and enemies are looking. It's crazy but also really good i fully recommend you buy it and it's a game that many people don't actually know exists tweet me at mr jason england if you've played it before number four this year as, as you probably well know it's 2018 I forget that every so often, and then I'm like, holy crap, I'm turning 28 too. <laughs> um, watching my whole life flash before my eyes. That's separate of the point. Um, 2018 marks the 20th anniversary of the would-be release date of PlayStation 1 beat-em-up, Thrill Kill. If you ever saw the trailer for this, it was basically kind of a polygonal version of Mortal Kombat before the 3D Mortal Kombat was actually a thing. Um, created by Virgin Interactive, it was a very interesting looking game. It had some decent gameplay mechanics, as were kind of advertised for it. Um, but it never saw the light of day, hence why I said would-be release date. Uh, why? Well, it was actually cancelled close to the end of its development after Electronic Arts bought the game's publisher and considered it senselessly violent, canning the entire project in the process. Thanks for that. <laughs> um, it's actually pretty sad when you think about it. EA have never... Recently, they haven't been able to like establish a really good relationship with anybody who would ever consider themselves a video gamer. Not with 
refusing to bring back any of their old IP, which is quite clearly going to sell millions for them, and focusing on microtransactions, insert Battlefront 2 here. Um, there's a lot of things that EA could do to save face at E3. SSX Tricky Remastered would be a pretty good one, or a new Burnout. But whether they do it or not, that's a very different thing. At the moment, looking at how they're leaking stuff, um, it's probably just going to be a big Battlefield 5 expose slash a Need for Speed game. Which would be a bit sad, really. But we'll see what happens. I'd love to be an optimist, after all. And finally, we talk about video game gimmicks. Um, not in terms of like gameplay gimmicks. I talk about stuff that comes with the game itself. For example, Metal Gear Solid 1, spoiler alert, when they say the code is on the game case, it's actually physically on the game case. Or when we talk about added extras, such as like Spartan helmets and like added in... Um, bonus packs and like mega bundles of a video game and so on and so forth collector's editions that sort of thing um but this is a bit of a stranger one chances are you've probably come across something that is scratch and sniff whether it be like a shoe sole or whether it be a fragrance tester page in a magazine whatever it may be chances are you've given it a go well Two PlayStation 1 games actually had scratch and sniff discs. And just to clarify, this wasn't the data side. <laughs> this was the actual top side of the game. Um, I've thought about that as well. And I did ask around just to confirm because not, nowhere really kind of confirmed whether it was the bottom side of the disc you scratched to sniff it or the top side. Because if it was the bottom side, then that would be a huge design flaw of it. But it's not that luckily. Um, so the two PlayStation 1 games that had scratch and sniff discs were FIFA 2001, which smelled like a football field. Hopefully a nicer football field, because the ones around here and your local park probably smell like pee. And Gran Turismo 2, which smelled like car tyres. Well, you got to hand it to them. They're going for the full immersion of this, of their respective universes. It's pretty impressive, actually. Scratch and Sniff stickers became popular in the 1970s and remained so through to the mid-1980s. The Creative Teaching Press create, produced some of the earliest Scratch and Sniff stickers. But how were they made? They technically, they generally refer to stickers or cardboard items that have been treated with a fragrant coating. When scratched, the coating releases an odour that is normally related to the image displayed under the coating. The technology has been used on a variety of services, from stickers to compact discs. 3M invented the technology in 1965, using a process originally developed for carbonless copy paper called microencapsulation. That's right, microcapsules are embedded into the sticker or the piece of card or wherever you're putting it, and they break easily when gently rubbed. And they will release the aroma, and the aroma can be preserved for extremely long periods of time. Hence, scratch and sniff. 
Obviously, they were used far wider across the industry as well, but these are the two more interesting cases for me. And that is it, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you all so much for listening to the show this week. Um, there's a fair few ways that you can help support me. Um, you can go check out the blog, newrisemedia.com. I write three, maybe four times a week, depending on how quick I can get stuff turned around and how busy I am during that time. Um, I'm also on Twitch, hence why I did this episode about PlayStation, which is dedicated to PS1 and PS2 gaming, twitch.tv slash emotionengineer. Give us a follow over there. We're on the race to 50 followers. That we are. Um, beyond that as well, you will find New Rising Media on Twitter at New Rising underscore media. You can find me on Twitter at Mr. Jason England and on Instagram and Snapchat at the same usernames. Um, and I want to take the time right now to thank you all for over 700 followers on Anchor. It means the world that so many of you are out there. Um, if you have enjoyed this, do go ahead and subscribe to the podcast, whether you're listening to it on Anchor or iTunes or wherever you are. Give it a follow. Uh, subscribe, review, rate, whatever you want to do. Anything will be super helpful. Any kind of honest feedback as well will be helpful for the future of the show as well. And I will speak to you next week. Take care. Have a cracking bank holiday to all my UK listeners. See you later. Bye.